technology at its most fundamental basic part is to improve the life of the person using it. That's why we invent these things. So that for me is the basic metric for all success on projects is did it make the life of the people using the technology better? We're living in a time when you have no choice but to innovate. And for many of us, that's as scary as hell. But it can also be the most exciting adventure. For the first time since World War II, we have the opportunity to change everything, to make our world a better place. For those of us in business, that means making your team and customers' worlds better. I'm Judy Selmans, host of the Engage to Innovate podcast, talking all things innovation. So relax, take some time out from your schedule and immerse yourself in the learnings shared by our guests. When we think innovation, many of us automatically think of tech and there's no doubt that it's driven a lot of cool ideas, which is why Eric's and I wanted to chat to today's guest, Stuart Marshall from SAS Accelerator. He's a commercial software expert, innovator, and the best-selling author of Doing It With Money. He's spent much of his 30 years in IT in the software industry, creating, designing, and building rapid development tools, creating solutions used by thousands of businesses around the world, including Procter Gamble, Kawasaki, Kellogg's, and many leading banks. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. So welcome to the Engage to Innovate stage, Stuart. Thank you, Judy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hi, Stuart. Hi, Eric. It's interesting, this tech thing. And sorry, you'll have to excuse our behaviour because like, we tend to go straight on bull of the gate, get on with this thing. And I think, in fact, when I say that, that somewhat relates to how many people embrace tech, I think. You know, like you, you just go, like, so many people come up with an idea and think, oh, I'm just going to invent this and I'll just go and employ some guy that, can do it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds easy. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, you're, you're, seem, for, to my, my view of the world, there seems to be either end of the scale. There are those who just go, yeah, I'm going to go and do that. And off they go with little or no thought. And then there are those who go, oh, I don't know. Uh, and kind of end up doing nothing. Yeah, um, okay. Finding the guys in the middle is the, it's, it's, it's a continual challenge. <laughs> and, and so clearly there, there needs to be, a, a, and we've had our own experience, which I think we've had conversations over LinkedIn on, and, uh, and, and you know, I would say not pretty, and I don't want to get into them, but just to say that uh, there's so, it's a, it feels like it's a totally uncontrolled, wild world, this tech stuff, and can, I, think yeah, I mean, a it's a very reasonable assessment, actually. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, actually, it's, so it's sort of like what needs to happen is, to me, is like some sort of controller or some, and you know, I think that's why I wanted to talk to you is that I can see the value of having somebody there that can break, be that circuit breaker, if you like, to this insane madness of big budgets and, you know, or no control over budgets or whatever it is. So it's, it's actually the lack of control seems. Yeah, that, that's, a, yeah, that's probably a really just, yeah, the, from our, from our end of it anyway, we just, we found it a very difficult process, but so 
I really want to talk to you about what is it that makes, I guess there's so many things we could talk about, Stuart. So what is it that makes a project a success? What is it that, that you see are the things, I could ask a million questions, so I think I better just ask <laughs> one at a time and, and, and just let you do some chatting to us about how we can make our dreams come real. Well, let's start with you first. What makes a project a success? And, and yeah, and we can look at this in a, a whole bunch of bunch of um, optics on this. But uh, it, uh, what I sort of typically say to people is the sim- sensible sort of approach to this thing is how have you made your people's life better? This is, I mean, this is a this is a fundamental tenet of software uh, yeah. and technology as a rule. Yeah. And I, and I relate this back to the fundamental use of a digging stick by you know, indigenous Australians 50,000 years ago. Uh, a digging stick is a fantastic thing. It can dig things up out of the ground and people get to eat. That's a really good thing. Or you can use it and you can hit the ground with it and nothing happens. So right. the, 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 the point of a technology at its most fundamental basic part is to improve the life of the person using it. That's why we invent these things. So that for me is the basic metric for all success on projects is did it make the life of the people using the technology better? Mm. That's, that's my start just not... point. Yeah, no, ab- yeah. absolutely. And of course, the um, so I guess where we come from, from, from an insight perspective is that a lot of people don't know if it's going to make their life better when you first ask them because they, they can't know how they're going to act in the future. is And so... No, well, I'm certainly you... right. But this is, a, this is a, a problem-based approach, really, um, which is to say, you know, if I, if I go into JB Hi-Fi with some money in my pocket and I buy some technology of whatever ilk it might be, if I'm buying it without a purpose in mind, then I'm never going to know. I can't possibly assume that life will be better. If I go in and say, well, I've got a problem, I need I need to watch a TV show, then I'm going to go and buy a TV, and that solves my problem. If I need to record something, I'm going to go and buy a microphone. It solves my problem. So we have to approach it from this point of view of I have a problem, I can buy some technology, or I can employ some technology, and that can improve my life by solving the problem for me. Yeah. And, and I guess that's right for the majority of people rather than people who just love the gadget for the gadget's sake. Oh, look, well, I love a gadget, right? I mean, I'm, you know, yes. I'm flashy lights and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm anybody's, <laughs> frankly. But it, yeah, it is. There's a there's an approach to this that is, there's a common sense middle ground where we don't just go out and spend money and play whack it was I referred to as playing technology whack-a-mole, where we yes. sort of see something, oh, I can have that, boom, and, and we hit that problem, and we go and get some more, and we get some more, and we get some more. And what we end up with is is my office which, uh, as I look around me, is full of boxes of bits of technology <laughs> that seem to be an appropriate solution at some point. You yeah, know, th- there's, a, there's a sensible approach to this where we start looking at the world in a, a more objective fashion and looking how we can accumulate our problems into a single space and address that sort of group of issues rather than dealing with them individually. It It's very interesting because that links very strongly, I think, to the uh, jobs to be done theory, which we very much subscribe to and is part of our makeup because you're going to the end outcome, not the means to to get there. 
the, the means follow the outcome, not the other way around, perhaps. Uh, one, well, I would hope so. I mean, you know, technology, as I say, is just a tool. It's there to make our life better. So in itself, it is not an end. It is purely a, an answer to a problem. So for, and I guess that's what must be daunting to a lot of business people because they're told you have to use tech tools. It's the currency. It's what our economy runs on. But maybe where do they get started? And maybe you could shed some light on that. So if you're a non-tech, say a small to medium business person, and you know you sh- you, know, you want to innovate with something, what should be the first steps they take? Identify the problem. I mean, the, the, right. I, I can't. I can't articulate that any more clearly. Which is this? Um, so, okay. Well, let's take a step back. There is right. there is a, a thing that is is kind of often forgotten when it comes to technology, which is that we are in a race against our competitors. Yeah. If we were if yep. we were an isolated business with the only people in the market, then we could, practically speaking, we could run the business on pen and paper still. Yep. Um, that not the most efficient, but it would get the job done and we would serve our customer base and that would be fine. But of course we're not. We're in competition with many others and we have to therefore employ uh, and te- or employ technology and take our place in the arms race, as it were. So there's a certain amount of keeping up with the Joneses required. Yeah, The moment we right. stop innovating, the moment we stop improving our environment is the time that the opposition steals a march on us and becomes uh, better at what they do and cheaper and more efficient and provide better service and all of the things that we would hope to achieve. So th- there's that, that sort of side of it is understanding that we must be in the technology game. And we all are. Anybody running a business now is in the technology game to some extent. Yeah. So um, the, the requirement then is to really understand where it is you're, you're going. And once you have that point, then if, if technology isn't your subjects, and for the vast majority of business leaders, it's not. You know, the vast majority mm-hmm. of business leaders are market experts. They're good at what they do. You know, they're not technologists. Uh, mm-hmm. My recommendation to absolutely everybody is go and hire somebody, whether it's me or you or whoever it might be. It really doesn't matter. Go and mm-hmm. hire somebody who can help you through this process because it does require some thought and it does require education and experience in a particular space. Yeah, I I think if well I clearly on our own project the biggest lesson I learned was was that that's what I should have done, and <laughs> and had we have done that then then life would be completely different. And uh, but and in fact we thought we had, but they weren't. They it was all fluff and mirrors. So that's the other thing is making sure that they actually. Yeah, this was very difficult. It's, for it a is. Lot it's of hard. People. It's not easy. You know, I I remember speaking to you know, a local business here um, a couple of years back and you know, she runs a fabulous local company and, and very successful. She has an idea for some for, for an app and that she thought would enhance her business and, and help it to delivery and et cetera. And when she told me the stories, I thought they were in parallel, even though she had obviously, she did have someone actually in her camp helping her out. It still was a challenge. And I, so it, it feels to me like it's it's more than just going out and finding somebody that it's you've got to have that deeper understanding and what I've really liked about your LinkedIn content Stuart is that you know you're and and what you're doing at SAS Accelerator is you you deem you're giving you're arming people with this information and helping them see through the clutter which is 
there's a lot of it out there and it's a lot of people seem to think that um you know sass is the way to make my millions and uh um and that, and that, that may be the case right i mean there's yeah, a, of course. genuine opportunities there's 130 billion revenue i think by the end of this year yeah. coronavirus notwithstanding um yeah. rising yeah. at about um i think about 30 percent per annum yeah which is that's, that's huge it's yeah. huge, uh, and and, yeah. and it's not going to stop. Uh, it's it's a massive world. It's a massive market. There are more and more businesses coming online every day, um, and the the I mean the, the the simple thing for most when they go out and get into this. I mean, yes, okay, understand the problem. That's really important, of course, and get some guidance as well. But this is a human activity. It's a human endeavor, uh, and one of the biggest problems I see. Uh, on a regular basis is the fact that we there's this uh, focus is entirely on the technology and people say mm. oh, i'm going to go and build an app and the yeah. is like why what what problem does creating the app actually solve and you know the, when when you consider the sort of money that people invest in these things it, it's it's a scary thing to get into without really knowing where you're going or where you're where you're trying to go at least yeah, yeah. So, if, I mean, for instance, I've spoken to a couple of people in the last two or three weeks, both of whom are, uh, one is approaching minimal viable product, uh, the other has a product and has his first few clients. And these are these are reasonably big ticket um, sale items, but mm. both of them are a million dollars in. Mm-hmm. And one of them has gone back to work to earn some more money to finish the development of his MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the 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 monies that are at stake in the technology world are just just huge. Yeah. Uh, if you if you're going to get into the world of innovation and software creation, particularly, yeah, you know, the, mm. the cost of the cost of um, of entry, the cost of a ticket to the dance is huge, regardless. Yeah. 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 I think that's the thing that most people underestimate. And and from okay, I I have to bring on draw on our own experiences here, but it, you know, you as as an idea creator so you know and you know your market so you can see the need until you get past that stage and and you know yes that's still a difficult stage by the way but then you get into this space of where to from there who do you trust and and again i took talking about thinking back to the conversation i had with this other person uh, about her app you know it was like she'd had a budget and and it wasn't a massive budget and i could see when she told me the budget i thought yeah no app's going to be built for that budget um and and that's my limited very naive experience but of course that's what she was told so she invested what was a fairly large amount of money in in you know normal people's worlds Mm. and of course it was nowhere near completed and in fact she was now three times the budget and it still wasn't completed. And and she, I said to her, you've just got to draw the line. You, you know, personally, you've got to make a decision. How much more do you want to throw at this before you, you know? Mm. You, but, I, and, yeah. But we, we, I, I often use building of um, houses as an analogy for the creation of software. Mm. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you ever watch Grand Designs. Yes. Like that how often you see people who will engage with the architect themselves and will do the project management themselves and will spend their time to save themselves money. Mm. 
and 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 the, the the same analogy kind of pretty much works really because what you find is people who think oh I'll build an app or I'll have some software created or whatever it might be they think well I, I'm an expert on what I want or what I think I want therefore I can communicate with this technology business mm. And, and that's a logical assumption, by the way. <laughs> um, well, it, it, or yeah, is it? It, it, it? It feels like a logical assumption. Yeah, that's right. like, yeah. Um, but but the reality is, it's one that is born entirely out of ignorance. And, yeah, I, and, I, mean, and I don't mean to be rude to people by saying that. It is literally the case in point. I'm not an expert in anything other than what I'm an expert in. You know, we mm. know what we know. So mm. to to think that well, I can just engage a technology business to make something for me and they'll be able to do it just through conversation is is hugely assumptive. Uh, and particularly when you start talking to um, sort of businesses where you, you haven't got that really personal relationship. So, yeah. you, the, I mean, the subtlety and the nuance is really where um, the value proposition is for people. And and it's why people like me are valuable because we can get in the middle and we can bridge that communication gap. Yeah, you know, I, and so you're you're right because you know when we first embarked on our our project and uh, you know I, I just exactly as you said I couldn't see a reason why I would need someone else to interpret what I was saying when I could just have the conversation directly, but. Um, uh, clearly now uh, probably would have cut our budget in half had we have engaged <laughs> someone else and and so and and so you know yes I've learned the lesson the lesson the hard way and that's fine I don't have a problem with that but um, I'd really rather most other people don't and 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 I guess I want to steer this also onto innovation because it is also very very important that in and then even more so I believe in our today's world that we continue to innovate and continue to stretch our minds and continue to trust others as partnering with that innovation journey. And I guess that's where really I see your type of skill set being really valuable for anyone who's got an idea that they want to explore and, and whether that's a whole new concept or it's just a new way of doing something in their industry. Innovation for me today is... Running a business today, and, I, and I'll, I'll ignore the 800,000 micro businesses, but if you're running a business that's million, two million, three million kind of revenues, you know, you're, you're a, a, bigger, a bigger end of small business and heading towards medium size. Yeah. If you're not actively engaging in implementing innovation, then all you're doing is standing still. And that's if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you're standing still. The reality is that your competition is trundling past you slowly but surely. And, and it's yep. just a fact. It's not, you know, it's not me trying to sell my wares and a whole bunch of technologists. No. It's just a statement of fact. It's what the world is doing. Five years ago, we were, oh, we're not sure about the cloud. You know, there are issues, <laughs> there are limitations, there are things we need to concern ourselves with. And, and that was the case five years ago. Today, if you're not actively researching how you can make cloud and um, you know, software as a service a fundamental part of your business, yeah. then you, you're going to have trouble. Uh, and we can yeah. take a case in point uh, from a conversation I had with a, a friend this morning that um, 
some of the the larger businesses have sent everybody home today. Mm. And they are now doing all of their work, uh, all of, you know, uh, uh, 500 developers working for WiseTech Global are now working remotely because of coronavirus. And But they yeah. have the technology, they invested in technology at the appropriate time some years ago, and this is all now possible. There are a lot of businesses who are now looking, wishing they could send people home, but they don't have the technology infrastructure in place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how does, how are, are there tips that you can share with us? Are there, are there ways that, you know, a business today, you know, let's say they're, they're in that, that space that we, you just mentioned, you know, they're not the micro businesses, they're, you know, they're not the startups even, or even if they are a startup, how do you, how do you start this journey? How do you map it out? Do you have, if you like, a process for doing that? Uh, I, I don't particularly, as it happens. And the reason is that it's such a it's such a personal thing every time. Everyone is so very, very different. And they all share the same sorts of problems. They all have this, uh, I want people to be more efficient. I want to have greater access to data. Uh, you know, all, all of that kind of thing. I want more accurate information. Those problems repeat, but right. the the specific needs of any business will, you know, they, I mean, they, they follow some patterns, but really it's it's just a case of looking, taking a step back, get your face away from the glass, as a friend of mine used to say, and, and take a good long look at what's going on and where are you spending money that you don't want to be spending it. Uh, yeah. and a, a simple place to start is uh, look at the bums on seats. You know, we have an average salary in Australia of give or take $80,000 for the sake of simple maths. By the time you annualize that uh, and include all of the other sundry things, it's roughly $100,000 per person per year. Yeah. So if you're a business with 15 staff, mm. that's $1.5 million that you're spending on people to run your business. Mm. Now, the first thing you should be looking at is how do I get the best value out of those people? And this is not about how can I fire some people. It's not the point. Yeah. The point is how do I maximize their efficiency? How do I make them more valuable? And I tell you who knows all the answers or who knows all the problems, and that's the people you employ. Yeah. They, they know all of the issues you've already got. So start by asking them. Ask yeah. them what problems do you have? What makes your life difficult? What makes you slow? What's repetitive? What makes you make mistakes? All of these simple questions that have nothing to do with technology, of course. Yeah. It's simply about what what do you do on your day to day. So I, I did some work um, uh, end of uh, end third quarter last year with a, um, a business, and within I think two days, I'd found something like a hundred thousand dollars worth of savings. Simply right. because they were doing things with a manual process that ten thousand dollars worth of software would have fixed for them. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really simple things like that. But it's not that the, it's a difficult problem to solve. It's just people have never looked for it. Yeah. So they've yeah. never found it. Yeah. Do you find, Stuart, that not enough businesses are talking to their team at that level? That maybe they they just assume that things are going okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I, I write this exact comment in, in my book. Um, right. And, it, and it's a lesson out of the software world as it happens, uh, which was, uh, we. The, the story goes that there was a feature in the software we used to make. And we never really liked it. And nobody ever really liked it. And nobody ever told us why. 
<laughs> and uh, but it was just I'm a bit all that, and then we replaced it with with something new, which which was technologically far superior, but functionally far superior as well. And eventually, a comment from somebody came back and said, "Oh, yeah, nobody ever liked that one because," and it was a simple thing that it didn't remember what you'd done before. Right. I mean, it's, it's trivial it's, from a technology yeah. point of view. A trivial, trivial thing. Yeah. But and that, something that fixed was, really quickly. It would have been very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody tells you, and and the same for your employees. Yeah. You know, people, the vast majority of people you employ come to work, do the job, go home. Uh, and assume you know what you're doing. Assume you know you're how to run a business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have some people who will engage very strongly with the business, and they're great, and we should love them dearly. Uh, but the vast majority turn up, do their job, and go home. And mm. yeah, they might bellyache to their pals about something being difficult to use or hard to use. Occasionally, it makes it to their boss, and occasionally that makes it up the next step. But unless somebody's actually collating all of that information, unless somebody's actually kind of keeping an eye on it. Then it's 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 lost data. It's it's information that turns mm. up and goes away again. So that really is the you know the starting point really for business leaders is that they they've just got to listen to the team and engage with them and then build in systems that allow them to to have that communication channel and be open to it. Really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the it's it's a fundamental leadership requirement as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, but it, but it's it's harder for people to understand because it's technology and because they don't necessarily recognize the value proposition that uh, a PC on a desk represents, for example, or right. um, a core ERP might represent. Yeah, that, that fundamental argument of what is my value proposition for this software is lost on them. And the, the and I'll, I'll try, I haven't got the, the numbers in front of me, so I'll, I'll try and remember this. Uh, let, let's say hypothetically that we're a business with um, 50, uh, 50 people and we're going to buy some software that they're going to use for 10 years. Now, that we might spend a million dollars on that. Yeah. And you say, well, okay, well, what does that work out at? And I think that if I, if I remember rightly, the maths works out as $2,000 per person per year. Yeah. Which and is, I, yeah. you know, you say, oh, no, but no, but it's a million dollars. It's this big, this big, big chunk of money. Yeah. He said, yeah. "Okay, well, okay. Let, let's think about think back to my idea about a hundred thousand dollars per person. If I replace that million dollars of software, I can have one person for ten years as well. Now, do right. I think yeah. I will get better value from a piece of software costing a million or one person costing a million? Yeah. Now that, well, that's, a, that's a great the, way of putting it. Somewhere in the piece, there is, uh, you know, if I get enough people, it will be as valuable as the software." But of course, the, the price difference is it 10 people, 20 people, 50 people? I don't know, you know, whatever the number might be. But clearly, lots of people are going to cost more than some software. Yeah. So, this yeah. fundamental argument, uh, same with PCs. The, the other one I, I use regularly and bore people with is this idea of um, putting a good PC on someone's desk, right. uh, replacing it every three years. And they say, yeah. oh, but yeah, but it's $2,000 every three years. And you get, so? Yeah. You spent $300,000 on that person to be in the seat for three years. And you're yeah. getting another couple of grand yeah. to get the best value out of them, to make them most efficient that they can be, to get things out of their way so they can get on and do their job. Yeah. yeah. As an argument for not spending money, it's an insanity. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the other side of that, of course, is that if you're an employee 
and uh, you, you know you you want to enjoy your work environment. And if you're sitting there with frustrating gear or tools that don't do your job adequately, you can't you don't have the mental space or time yeah. to create and make your job of even better value and yeah. more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be one of the more common sort of issues because we work as consultants and not you know employing a team as such but when I come across from time to time situations where you see you see the results of employee surveys for instance that kind of thing or team exercises and how we can improve next year and so on technology often comes up and frustrations with technology often come up so I guess that fits in with you, with what you're saying as to it being maybe a false economy. Uh, it, it's the frustration with technology is huge, and one there are, there are many many reasons behind that. But a couple of the really big ones is that we don't actually train our people to use it properly. Right now, yeah. I mean, I, I the, the 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 one I kind of make in passing as a, as a bit of a tongue in cheek question is how many of your team have you had trained on keyboard use? Huh. Um, now, now I yeah. don't know. I, I don't know for sure whether being good or bad at a keyboard is is, um, is of, of any real value. But uh, the, the point is that it's the thing we use all day, every day. The vast majority of office people are expected to use a keyboard all day, every day, and we don't teach them to type. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. I'm sure it's so underutilized. I'd be a good example myself. I have particular <laughs> patterns that I use. I'm sure there are a lot more. They're actually really and... annoying when you're sitting next to him because he does, <laughs> he picks up one finger at a time and bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, so we all do learn differently. But you're, it's an interesting observation that by just some maybe simple training or something like mm. that on these little basics that we could improve our productivity and the enjoyment of people in their workplace. Well, and I, and I talk about it from the idea of um, office tools as well. How many people have actually been taught to use PowerPoint properly? And mm. yet we say, go and make me a presentation. And we go off to our, mm. our PA or whatever it might be, or some team member and say, well, I need this as a presentation, please. And they're not this software that they're vaguely familiar with. It's, it, we expect people to be able to use things. Yeah. Now, now, fast forward that from the sort of the isolated examples of mucking around in a spreadsheet. Uh, and, and I mean, I've got a whole stand-up routine about the use of spreadsheets in businesses. Um, <laughs> and a fair number of expletives in there. That, yeah. um, <laughs> but when you start looking at then behavior and core system use, and you know, I mean, highly complex systems that are, have evolved over years in larger businesses. The the onboarding process for the people who that we employ needs to be really detailed. It really needs to, you know, give them all the tools they need to be good at their job as quickly as they can and as efficiently as they can from from the get go. And yet, so mm. often, what we find is that people just get given a little bit of a, you know. A, a day's training, a couple of points of this, bit of that, bit of the other, and, and kind of left to it and to learn the job on the go. And and I've, yeah. seen, I've seen statistics that say this, that the, the vast majority of on-the-job training is occurs over the first 12 months after the initial training courses. You know, much like learning to drive, if you like. We, you know, we learn to make the car move forwards and backwards and go around corners. Then we go out in the real world and learn all the other chaos is going on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. It, that, so, that, that, this kind of idea that we don't really look at the world through the lens of the people that we expect to manage it for us. It's a bit sad, isn't it, really? You know, <laughs> it, it feels really sad to me. I mean, I just think we don't value people enough that we're not, you know, there's so many things, of course, that come into play and we've been talking to people on this podcast that are, you know, more into the EQ level and leadership and all that sort of thing. So I've, I've got all of their thoughts roaming around in my head as I'm saying this, but I just find it really sad because you know, they're, they're, they're a value. I mean, without humans running your business, I mean, we can maybe go to machines some, to some degree, but I don't think we're going to ever get rid of humans. I, well, no, or well, we're not. Um, you know, I mean, we, we can talk, if you like, at length about AI. Um, which is this this horrible broad brush phrase that we're now using because it's become a marketing term rather than having yeah. Any, yeah. any practical right. meaning in terms of technology. Um, and, and I've heard arguments for what makes an AI system an AI system, but I was part of the um, Data61 roundtables for their AI and machine learning and um, paper that was produced beginning or end of last year. And the general consensus was there's no such thing as AI. It, there's there's no defining start point for it. Oh, interesting. Uh, and importantly, realistically, it's it's what I refer to as posh maths and good text parsing. <laughs> yeah, it's some, there's some very clever algorithms. There's a lot of great work being done, but the reality mm. is, is it's just maths. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's yeah. a great phrase that comes out of the out of the software industry, which is this year's AI is next year's software. Yeah, as soon as we've understood the algorithm, it's not AI anymore. All right, just that old phrase about what seemed like what is commonplace now seemed like magic. Yeah. Uh, Earlier, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who, who, who said that. So, yeah, as you kind of take the mystery out of it. So, is it fair fair to say that that oh, personally, as a as a non tech type, but what seems to be happening is AI is very good at doing the repetitive tasks, but you still need people for the critical problem solving. But of course, you know, people are working on algorithms to fix that as well, uh, you know, which is fine. You, you want people to be productive, not doing repetitive things. Mm. But the, I mean, the interesting thing about AI, of course, is it requires a massive data set to start with. Right. Uh, yeah. And we have to, we, because it's maths, uh, and a fund fundamental law of all maths is that it can't be without bias. There's right. there's a, a practical reality when it comes to AI that whatever data set we give something, and we say, well, the machine can learn from that. If that data set is corrupt in any sense, and I mean corrupt not from uh, an invalid data point of view, but from the perspective that it doesn't produce the outcomes that we want, uh, it, it's a very, very difficult world that we find ourselves in because we're allowing a machine to make a decision for us based on something that is fundamentally flawed. So it, mm. it's, you know, it, it's it's a madness in, in many senses, but it, and it needs human oversight. Do you think people are pushed into this? Like you said before, AI is a marketing term and that businesses who are looking to innovate, become more efficient do new things uh, are kind of pushed along this path perhaps before, you know, maybe their situation is, is quite ready for it. Um, probably. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't talk from any authority on the subject, but 
it, it, it's an interesting thing that, that we love a technology, right? We love a shiny thing, mm. uh, whether physically shiny or metaphorically. Um, yep. Yet when we're talking about AI, the reality is that for the vast majority of business, and I mean 90 some odd percent, it's of little to no value whatsoever today beyond things like chatbots. Right. There, there simply isn't sufficient data for a, a business to be able to employ uh, a, a coherent AI strategy to to decide what they're going to do. It works if we scale it. The electricity companies that kind of scale where they have mass mass volume. Oh, of course. Um, that that works well. But uh, I was chatting to somebody uh, a few days ago, and they need a minimum of ten thousand uh, items in a data set. Mm. Now, if we're talking about ten thousand customer records, that's a lot of customers, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. So the, there are a lot of businesses that will never, you know, will will take them fifteen years to achieve that sort of level of data. Yeah. And even then, uh, and again, this is this is something I, I point out in the book is when in ten years' time you've got the data that you think you need. Did you get it by accident because you happen to have been around for a long time and therefore you've got some, or was it part of a coherent strategy that you started now planning to be? with all of the data that you'll need in 10 years' time to be able to make a decision and take the leap forward. Holy dolly. Because, <laughs> but, 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 but that's the logical thing. That yeah, we have to do. yeah, yeah no, 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 and it makes so much sense when you say it like that. So, yeah. But, but, but of course, people don't think, well, I'll, oh, in 10 years' yeah. time, I want to do this, therefore I'll start doing it now. Uh, and the point I make in the book is, is simply, um, if you're not recording data today, why not? Yeah, uh, and the reason being that I've no idea what use it's going to be tomorrow, uh, nor does anybody else. But hey, let's record it because what harm can it do? So, what sort of data do people need to collect now? I mean, anything. what did yeah? Anything, anything you can conceive, anything you can consider. Um, we might even the, the most simple things like gender. For example, gender is a good example. Uh, right. If we have a Client database. It may be, uh, you know, in random, random PTY limited. It may be that they happen to deal with eighty percent of the customers are female. Mm-hmm. Maybe that may be the case. Now, if they don't know that, then their marketing budget is being pointed at, you know, directly at the public with no gender bias. Yeah. If they do know that, then they can halve their marketing budget. Yeah, it, it's that you know, or they can double the effectiveness, or or however you, you want to um, skew it. Yeah, it, it's that kind of basic idea. What information do you want to record? What uh, and it's everything, anything you can conceive of. Okay, so there's nothing specific that would relate to an AI invention in the future. That that I mean, because obviously demographics and 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 those sort of what I would call pretty basic stuff really are most. Well, not maybe not all, but most companies would have a bit of a grasp on. So, if there is there nothing, if there's nothing else, then it's really. Then I guess I'm a little bit. It's do these do companies of the size that we've been talking about before. So these are businesses that have got a couple of million turnover, for example, at least. Mm-hmm. Are they, they must be collecting that data already anyway, naturally. Well, do you know maybe. Some mm. of them, some of them will be, some of them almost certainly won't. Right. And I think that's always fascinates me the most is, you know. Well, people are lazy. <laughs> uh, and, and, 
software users are lazy. You know, I'm lazy. We mm. all are. We all, we all inherently want to take a shortcut. Because yeah. Yeah, that's our brains. Because yep. we like taking shortcuts. It's easier. I mean, that's the whole yep. point. So when, when you think, um, for uh, so for instance, have a look through your CRM when we finish and find out how much data you've got about each of the people in the CRM. Now, you might have you know. 1,000 people in there. might have 5,000. I don't know. It doesn't really doesn't matter. You, there's some. Yep. But have a look at the completeness of the records. Mm. And and this is this is appropriate to you. It applies to, entirely to me as well. And I'm, I'm the world's worst CRM user. Um, <laughs> but we we in, we're very very lazy when it comes to filling in data records. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, addresses yeah. in. We don't put postcodes in accurately. Yeah. Uh, if you go back to the UK, postcode is um, each postcode is three or four houses. Yeah. Yeah. Over uh, in Australia, each postcode is you know half. Is, isn't it a big enough area? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the UK, it's a tiny, you know, it's a very precise area. It's, it's that kind of detail that unless you make the effort to record it, will be lost. And, you know, will it be useful? No, yeah. I don't. But I yeah. can tell you what, if you haven't got it, it will never be useful. Actually, it, it, you've really woken my mind up to, of course, because even in, in market research, if we've got someone might send us a database and I've looked at some pretty wild ones, both of us in our time, and you, and you look at the database and you think, okay, so you think you've got a couple of thousand people on here. Time I take out the crap and the ones yeah. that aren't relevant, yeah. there might be a couple of hundred. Yeah. Um, and the so. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, and, and interesting actually, because it's one of the reasons why part of what we developed had some management of that, a bit of a mini CRM system inside it, because we identified that people were finding it too hard to actually do it all. So it, it, it's, it does become a bit of a hobby horse, Stuart. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're quite right, because I guess, you know, from, from our own perspective and, you know, with a you know, with a market research background mixed with marketing, etc., um, it's it's a bit ugly to see all that amount of incomplete information, and which also leads to whether people are active or not. Well, uh, we, 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 about, well, yes. we can get into the world very quickly, the, uh, and the conversation naturally sort of lends itself to this. You get into the world of um, data decay. Uh, and this is, if if not having enough data is a bad thing, then when you pile data decay on the top, it it, it all goes right. terribly badly. So yep. um, data decay runs at anywhere between one and n percent per month. Right. Okay. Uh, and the more volatile the world you're in, the more volatile the data. So if we're right. in the business world, data decay runs significantly more, and you can. I can't remember. I saw some stats on this, but it was mad. It was a two percent data decay per month. So that means if you've got a list of a thousand employees, by the end of the first year, approximately two hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred and fifty of them are, are wrong in some sense. Hmm. So well, that's hard. If you want to pull that data apart to make decisions in ten years' time. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So the, yeah. The, these okay. are the problems, but. But everybody has the same set of problems, right? It's a level playing field. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Don't have yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but the, the, the uh, you know, forewarned is forearmed, right? If, if I know that my data is decaying, then I can actively go out 
and try and find means by which I can encourage the, the, the people about whose data it is to engage with me and keep themselves up to date. Right. Think of it, for yeah. example, uh, I have a Gmail account. Now, every so often, a little thing pops up and says, are these still your recovery data? Do you still live at this address? Yeah. Do you still do? You know, yeah. it's, in, it's, it's engaging with people. And we're going back to the conversation as ever, always ends up where we started, which is this thing about people. Technology is about people. How do I use my technology to engage with the people I need to engage with? And yeah. Yeah, that seems to be very much underestimated. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's giving us a vast amount of thought because we're just you know, blindly plodding along and everything's wonderful. Because the, the key point really of all of this is that you can't innovate unless you have some data to, to understand your market, to understand the jobs to be done. And and to know what your issue is and all of those sorts of things would that be a fair comment in your perspective? Yeah, otherwise it's guessing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. I want to say, guessing has been known to produce some rather poor results. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, 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 and it's, it's no more. It's you know, it's not brain surgery. It's not rocket science. A lot of this is just some really good old fashioned hard work look at the problem, break it down, chop it into pieces that are manageable and start attacking the whole thing. But, you know, it's yeah. an elephant. It's a one bite at a time thing. We can't do it all in one. We can't just have a broad brush, spend $5 million, everything's better now because it just doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we need we need knowledge. We need data. We need to get this stuff sorted out. Do you find that existing tools are not used enough that maybe people think they have to build something from scratch rather than seeing what's around first? Uh, all the time. Absolutely. Right. Uh, as, as a fundamental argument, which is if you are in business today and you're not going out of business and you're not tanking you know, anything terrible, then clearly you have most of the technology you need to do your business and do your job. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going in business, right? I mean, reasonable yeah. right. So you see, you see, hear the stories of companies going out and buying a new ERP, and they spend n million dollars on it to replace the existing ERP. And you look at that, and you say, "Well, hang on a minute, but the existing ERP surely did ninety percent of the requirement already. Otherwise, you, it, you'd be it'd be in disaster land." So yeah. with that being the case, what your twenty odd million dollars or whatever you're spending buys you is the ten percent. It buys you the new stuff doesn't actually buy you the whole thing. It buys you because you already had the 90%. So you're only really buying the extras. Uh, you're replacing right. some old stuff with some new stuff. And maybe there's some value in that. And there's business cases, of course. Um, but So th that's the reality. The vast majority of businesses have the technology they need to do their job. They genuinely, generally don't need to go out and buy lots and lots of new tech. What they need to do is to make sure that the people that they've got now know how to use it. Make sure they're trained, make sure they have adequately equipped, staffed, all of the usual business things that we would talk about if we were talking about delivery vans, for example. Right, that, that, that's a very good metaphor. So you wouldn't go out and buy a whole bunch of new delivery vans if, if people theoretically didn't know how to drive them properly. Yeah, the first thing you're going to do is train the driver, make sure right. that they take the optimum route to get from A to B, make sure they put the right fuel in, make sure the vehicles are well serviced. You know, all of the things that we would expect to do with our, our, our car, for example, the same idea, um, mm. it applies to technology too. You know, we make sure that the people know how to use the things.
You know, if all they mm. do is drive down the road and crash every mile, then you know, it's it's a bad thing, right? I think what happens is because in the tech world, as we said earlier, is a bit of a wild west world, and there is so much information, so much jargon, so many things that that a non-tech person has to absorb to try and make decisions like whether to commission an app or whether to use something existing Mm -hmm. or, you know, to be able to navigate through that. And I guess from your point of view, that's the business you're in. Well, well, it's entirely the business that I'm in. My my focus these days is is SaaS businesses Uh, uh, because they, a lot of the time, the guys that get into SaaS businesses are market experts or industry experts. They're Mm. not not technology people. And yeah. the, the two I referred to earlier who spent over a million each, both yeah. of them lost literally hundreds of thousands of dollars because they engaged with the wrong development companies. Because they'd yeah. engaged with people who weren't up to the job. Now, they weren't bad people. They weren't looking to rip anyone off. They thought they could do it or said they could do it because you know they reckoned they could take on a big project. But they didn't have the experience uh, and everything else to be able to do it. And the problem for someone with no technology experience is how do you spot those? And, I mean, yeah, look, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me. It right? is. I mean, it's, it's, it's genuinely <laughs> difficult for me to spot them. So oh, it's, it's, it, that's hard, isn't it? And, and does the industry not have a responsibility in this? Or I guess it's caveat emptor, perhaps. Uh, oh, but certainly caveat emptor. Um, I mean, yeah. yes, the industry does have a responsibility, but it's something that has defied measurement uh, throughout my career Mm. you know there there are uh plenty of certifications for uh, you know you're this you know you know this language or you know this particular software package but being able to drive a car doesn't make you a formula one driver it's that kind of analogy you know that um particularly in the SaaS world because the development of commercial software is a, a particular skill it's a very very different thing to build software for the commercial market than it is to build uh, something that you're going to use for an internal system. You know, they're, they're obviously very similar in many senses, but they're also very, very different. Mm. So it, it, it is a great, it's a really difficult thing for people to understand and for people to get a grasp on because it is just fundamentally complicated. Mm, it is. I think really the take home is that, you know, innovation and tech is, is uh, has some amazing opportunities. In fact, I was reading a, um, a newsletter that a local economist, a New Zealand economist, Tony Alexander, puts together. And his prediction with our current COVID-19 and, and the way we are going with climate change, et cetera, is that in fact, technology and finding better ways to doing it is actually the growth industry. So that's good news for you. So <laughs> that's, that's his prediction is that businesses should be investing in doing that now so that when times right themselves, which they always do, they'll have the technology, they'll have the advancement that above everybody else. That anyway, that that was his prediction on that. And it's actually actually going to be my post tomorrow. Funnily enough, is exactly <laughs> there. You go. I've, I've, yeah, it's interesting. I should send you um, Tony's. Um, yeah, please do. I'll send please you. Do. Yeah, I'll send that to you. But it, it's he's an interesting guy, and I, I get his subscription every fortnight. I think he sends out a newsletter, but. It's, you know, I guess that's where I, we probably need to wrap this up anyway. But it, 
to me, innovation is critical and there are so many opportunities for businesses to look at new ways of doing things and that could be via technology or, you know, not. But making sure you've got help and the right people to take you through the process of technology, to me, is utterly critical. They're just, there is you, no other yeah. way of doing it. Well, it is, uh, but it, it's not something that people necessarily think of. They think, oh, yeah, I can go down to Harvey Norman and buy a PC. Mm. Uh, and you can. If you want to spend a lot more money than you need spend, then that's a great great choice. Because, I mean, I've, I've said this recently on another podcast, the, the, the $5 app in the App Store has, has ruined technology in many senses yeah. because it is it has completely changed the expectation level. People now expect right. to be able to install some software and just use it because it's an app. But there, but an app on your phone, a little $5 app, is as chalk and cheese compared to the complexity of um, an ERP, let's say. Yeah. The perception is a real problem. It's, in an, it's increasingly so. Same as people don't want to ex- spend money on high-end food. They, you know, they want hundreds of chef man hours that come in producing a, a three-hat three sort of uh, meal. They want yeah. that at the same price as a bowl of cheap pasta. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, so it's, it's a very difficult thing to manage, unfortunately. It is. And I think your analogy with the app thing, I think, is really interesting because there was, I don't know, how was it? It must be 10 years or something ago now that every man and his dog thought they were going to make quick bucks out of building some quick little fast app. Mm. And I think the same deal really is that it became quite, I saw it with several people I knew that were just on the side. They'd gone off and found someone in China or wherever to develop yeah. their idea. And, you know, they might have been spent, they might have spent 50 grand on it, whatever, but they felt they were going to make their fortune out of it with no idea other than that's a cool idea and then they can market it through, you know, Google Play yeah, and I the mean, App Store. There's only 2 million or so apps in um, Google Play and the app, the iPhone. Apple, yeah, yeah. Apple, so it's easy more. to stand out. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's trivial, yeah. And, and but even even in sort of the more grown-up SaaS world, generally, as a, as a general rule, most SaaS vendors have nine or ten major vendors vendors that they're competing against. Yeah, think yeah. of it from t- in terms of CRM. Uh, yeah. You know, and CRMs we can we can identify that there's a clear value to having a CRM. And there must be 10 that you could reel off without giving it much thought. And then another 50 oh, on top of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, HR systems. I spoke to a guy another day. He's building yet another HR system. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, and a, a young lad the other day, really enthusiastically telling me about his like, community engagement app. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he's got an idea, but I can't see why it is so markedly different and what problem it solves that people say, yes, I'll use that one rather than everything else that's available. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's where we are. I mean, idea, I, I'd say, you know, ideas are the most valuable things anybody can have at the moment. And, we, yeah. you know, the technologies exist for people to do whatever they want to do. You can invent anything. Um, Just to give you a quick plug for your uh, book, Stuart, because I'm, I'm really curious. So doing it it for for money <laughs> would that be a, a a great help if someone really wants to embark and wants to make some sense out of all of what we've been talking about would that be a great help is that the sort I, of thing I, I hope so. it was why I wrote <laughs> yes it. Uh, I, I, it would be a deeply sad thing if it wasn't so so the idea of the book was really uh really to cover exactly what we've been talking about which is this 
I'm in business, I'm running a business, I know there's a lot of technology, but I really don't get it. I don't get the point right. of it. I don't quite understand how it's going to help me, what problems it solves and so on, and where the cost benefits come from and how I justify it. How do I say to my boss, hey, if I get this, it'll save you $3 million. You know, how do I oh. help, people, help people argue their way through a, a requirement? You know, all of those yeah. kind of ideas. So the, the book is really a very high-level view, entirely non-technical, uh, and simply, uh, I mean, the, the subtitle is A Business Leader's Guide to Improving Profit Per Person. So really, it's pitched right. this simple idea of somewhere in the middle between a lot of people and a lot of technology, there is a sweet spot where you have just the right amount of people and just the right amount of technology. That's what we need to be aiming for. And, and the book yeah. really is all about that. Well, that sounds very helpful and, yeah. and, and, and a real blast of common sense. Yeah, absolutely. We'll yeah. put a link in the uh, comments uh, below the podcast so that people can get involved in that or get a copy and, and check out your website as well. We really didn't have much time to talk about your SAS Accelerator, which sounds like a fascinating program. And for anybody thinking about embarking on SAS, and I just, you know, from someone who's been there, done that, don't even hesitate. Go and contact Stuart, and you know, and if nothing else. No, seriously, I I just can't reiterate this enough. I will just, yeah, it's it's so valuable to have somebody that's in your on your side, and that totally understands this quite foreign world. And it is a foreign world. They, it's interesting. Someone said to me, "Can you communicate with you know, our development team?" Where non-English first language and I went oh no problem with the actual language but I have no idea what they're talking about um, and it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't English. <laughs> so what what is your website Stuart so that people can and we'll have it on the link but if you can let everybody know and and how they can get in contact with you well they can, uh, the best uh, I'm, I'm easily found on LinkedIn uh, and SAS Accelerator which is sasaccelerator.com.au uh, Fantastic. It's, it's still a relatively Still a, uh, an, an up and coming website, so please don't judge me based on the calibre on my website because that would be. <laughs> God, you'd think a tech person would get that sort of. <laughs> God, we could go on for hours. But, but this is the yeah, web, web, websites are a whole other topic. Yeah. A completely different skill. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't be good at everything, and websites aren't my thing at all. Yeah. I'm not, That's I'm all not right. You're forgiven. Okay. <laughs> No, we understand that. Fantastic. Look, I really enjoyed this. And, and I, again, I'm just going to say, go and see Stuart, go and talk to anybody, read his book, whatever it takes, but don't go out and do it on your own. You'll, you'll waste too much money, really. You work too hard for your money to go and give it away to someone else, is my opinion. So, <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Stuart. Thank, thank you very you, much, Stuart. Thanks, Eric.